And now, the Street Photography Magazine podcast with your host, Bob Patterson. Welcome back to the Street Photography Magazine podcast. I'm Bob Patterson, publisher of Street Photography Magazine. And our guest this week is Marsha Bricker-Halperin. She is a longtime photographer. She photographed, she was part of the CETA project in New York back in the 1970s, along with Merrill Meisler, who you probably know if you've paid much attention to our magazine, and um, was also a school teacher for a few years in the New York area. And uh, so she's come out with a new book uh, that happened in the 1970s, which I'm interested in because I I come from that same era myself. But anyway, we're going to get into that in a little bit. Uh, Marcia, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Bob. It was a wonderful opportunity. Yeah, well, I'm really, really glad to have you on here. Uh, you're, you know, I got a, I was able to get a, a copy, not a hard copy of the book, but a, I don't know what you call it, a pre-press copy. And, and I saw an advanced it, review copy, advanced <laughs> review copy. Yeah. And it, uh, um, it, I hate to, I hate to give the title away now, but I'm going to anyway, because, because it's, this is what, what caught my eye and I'm glad, uh, it's called, uh, Kibbish and yeah. Kibitz and Nosh. When we all met at Dubrow's cafeteria in new york so and it's uh, she made photos in this cafeteria actually had a couple of them in uh new york and on in brooklyn and uh i started looking at the photos and i said wow that this is really cool you know it takes place like 1975 1975 77 i mean i got i got out of college in 1975 i got married in 1977 so those, those are big years for me and uh, watch all the all the uh, millennials are probably turning this off. Uh oh, not two more boomers talking again. But uh, but that's what we're going to do anyway. But it's a really interesting slice of of history, and we're going to talk about that and talk about her other work. So, but before we get get into that, why don't you just tell us? How, I mean, how you get into photography in the first place? So, of all the things you could have done, how'd you get hooked? Well. I've wanted to be an artist since a little girl. <laughs> I mean, since playing with crayons uh, back in the, I don't know, I guess 60s. In the back of magazines, there used to be a little thing to win a contest to the mm -hmm. A1 art school. And yeah. you had to draw the lumberjack. And I used I to sit around that. and do that. <laughs> so when I finally got to college and studied art, um, I, I found painting and drawing and sculpture and all, everything pretty challenging. But when they, I took the photography course, um, it, it, it just did it. It just was perfect. And um, I think my parents were kind of happy. My father took me to Willoughby Camera in Manhattan to get a, a, a really cool camera. You know? uh -huh. Felt the weight of that Pentax in my hand. It was like, wow, this is this is better than a paintbrush. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, uh, you know, I took photography classes, and that seemed to suit me. It it helped me. I didn't have to draw the lumberjack. I could go out and look for those faces and photograph them. So you never did draw the lumberjack. <laughs> I tried. I never won the scholarship oh. to the A one art school. <laughs> Yeah, man, I forgot about those things in the back of the magazine, the back pages. So did you ever photograph the lumberjack? You probably don't see too many of those in the, in Brooklyn. No, but it was about texture and about, you know, uh, you know, like an archetypal face. And that's what I found at uh, Dubrow's Cafeteria. That's what I was looking for on the streets. You know, mm -hmm. the late, you know, when I started photographing about 73, 74. Uh, the golden age of street photography, some people say, and I thought that would be the coolest thing to do. And and so I'm out there on the street looking for uh, those faces and people and gestures and um, and then of course it got uh, 
forget to do browse. It got very cold out there photographing in February. So uh, uh, as the as the, all the uh, the press for the book says, uh, my fingers froze on the camera. Uh, I went through the revolving doors of Dubrow's and voila, a new world opened up. Yeah, that's uh, that was something. I um, before we get into that, though, I want to kind of ask you something that that uh, caught my eye. It's, it said you said you were in the uh, part of the photography forum, the photography forum, right? Which was uh, came on after the 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 photo league the famous photo league from the 40s and the 30s and and so what was the photography forum the, the so that was a that was just the also a fascinating um must have been 75 76 um and it came out of uh, the new school uh mm -hmm. and uh ben fernandez worked there and I was studying at Brooklyn College with Walter Rosenblum. So these were um, people who Walter Rosenblum had been in the photo league. And and, um, and then a few other people were, um, they were interested in bringing back some kind of a group. We met for panels at the new school. Uh, they brought in uh people to talk i remember remember being starstruck a little bit because w eugene smith came walking in one day wow right carava was there um i remember uh lewis stetner who's now getting some uh new uh attention for his work uh and lots of other people and um i helped I stuffed the envelopes for the, for the forum meetings because, of course, they were sent out by mail to the mailing list. Sure. Uh, I did that, and I helped organize uh, the panels and things like that. And uh, I just thought it was the coolest thing to do. Um, there was a newsletter. I believe Howard Greenberg wrote, wrote a newsletter for a while. Um, and. Uh, that that was just such a great um experience as part of that experience um i got to uh take lizette model's uh photography class at the new school yeah i saw um, that and i was the monitor at the door with the you know the, the roster of people i had to check <laughs> in and and that was one of my jobs but then i was able to be part of the class and then at the end, I had to walk her home to her Greenwich Village apartment because Ben Fernandez says he didn't want their prize, you know, professor walking the streets of New York in the 70s alone at night. Yeah. <laughs> so I would see her yeah. to her door. Well, that's really cool. So anything that really sticks out that you learned from her? Well, I, I I remember when um, I put my work up, you know, mm -hmm. for the hard to look at. And when she said, you got to keep doing this. That then I said, OK, you told me to keep doing it. You must think there's something here. And I did. I kept kept at it. Wow. So there wasn't any cafeterias left to, <laughs> to do it. <laughs> wow. So. Yeah. Uh... Oh, great. I had great influences. Yeah, you sure did. What, you know, what an era to um, to really be learning among all those people. And I mean, did you even realize at the time, you know, what a treasure that was? Well, I knew I was a little starstruck by, by that. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, yeah, I was. Uh, I was you know, young, and these these were my celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very cool. Yeah, so anyway, back to Dubrow's. You, you were talking about it was cold. You, I, um, I I like your your description in the book of when you uh, you were photographing windows, 
in Windows and in the way you describe the the ceiling and the lighting in in Dubrow's from the outside. I just I found that fascinating. And uh is is that what captured your attention of the place to begin with? Yeah. Well, I the whole corner there, uh Kings Highway was a vibrant shopping street. So, mm -hmm. you know, and there was an over um the elevated subway was there. So I would photograph under there. Uh I would go up the stairs and you know, you can photograph down. Uh these were all the things I was learning you know, uh, different angles to photograph from. And I was looking at different light situations. And I remember we studied at Jay and mm -hmm. he took pictures in windows. And I, I mean, reflections is, is a bit of a cliche for yeah. a beginning photography student, mm -hmm. you know, but I'm, I was looking for that, those things in windows that maybe could go beyond cliche images. But what happened at Dubrow's on that corner at different times of the day, the light would change and it had convex windows, rounded windows and flat ones. So you got you got such baffling reflections from all different directions, plus what was going on inside, plus the mirrors that lined the walls inside. So. So I would hang out and photograph in the windows. That was my safety. <laughs> you know, there was a window between me and my subjects. <laughs> so I could start there. But wow. it, when it got too cold, I went inside. And <laughs> did any, did they give you a hard time for just hanging around and photographing in the window all the time? Or did they not care? So, you know, some, you know, it's kind of interesting through the windows, you know, they weren't sure. Was I taking a picture? Was I looking? I did try to, you know, do a little surreptitious things, um, you know, um, but uh, pe people didn't, you know, sometimes they, they were a little self-conscious, but sometimes they were, oh, she's taking a picture of me. Yeah. I'll just look this way and hold the pose. <laughs> I, I think sometimes, you know, they weren't too, um, and I was, I don't think I looked threatening. First of all, I was, a, especially when I went in the cafeteria, I was a young woman. I wasn't, I, you know, they all were curious. Mm -hmm. I would say I'm a student. So, um, and then I would hang around sometimes for hours. And I think I became invisible. Um and I was invisible because I'm sitting there along with them for hours, but I don't think they even, I think people back then would be so surprised that there's now a book of those photographs because I don't think they took me seriously. I was a kid with a camera. Yeah. And so by being a kid with a camera, I could get, I could, you know, I could just photograph the guy across the, the table from me and he doesn't even care. That's true. When you're not a threat, or like you say, you're invisible, you're part of the furniture, it's amazing what you, what you can do. And sometimes there was a lot of, there also was a lot of engagement. Mm -hmm. People were curious, people spoke to me, and I did keep a journal, which is pretty wild stories about everyone. You know, they told me their sad stories and all about their lives and about the horses they bet on <laughs> losing money and this and that and women with sad love stories. And um, so I, I, you know, I listened also, and I think they appreciated that. And then when I say, can I, you know, take your portrait? It was, Oh yes, of course. But those became more, um, you know, they, they were, they were kind you know, we worked together. Where should I sit? How should I look? Uh -huh. You know, and I would, so I have the candids um, from being kind of invisible, but I also have the, the the engaged photos from the people that I got to know. And were the owners of the management of the restaurant, they were, were they okay with all this? Well, as my journal says, Leo is going to try to, especially on a Sunday afternoon, tell you you have to get up and give the seat to somebody else. And everybody in Dubrow's would advise me, 
just ignore him. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I wrote that in my journal. So, so that's what I guess what I did. Yeah. Do you still have the journal? Yes, I do. It's a little black book that I yeah. wrote people's names and addresses because they wanted me to send them photos and uh, all kinds of things. Yeah, that's keeping a journal is, I think, so important. And most of us don't do it. You know, I try, but then I just fade away sometimes. But it uh, sounds like it really paid off for you. Yeah. I, I you know, for me, always this, and, and in many, you know, um, you know, street photography doesn't have as much maybe of a story, but, but like yeah. a social documentary. Mm -hmm. I started to, as I started to work more, I did start to think about it as a, a documentation, an essay, and I knew I needed notes to go along with that. Uh, I, I looked at it because I, I knew these places were closing. This was, you know, a dying era. I, I, I wrote that. I said, I sensed it. You know, it can't possibly stay in business. And some others, you know, the Hornet and Hard Arts were closing. I was aware of other cafeterias in the city that were shuttering. I'd like to take a quick break to thank the Street Photography Magazine subscribers for your support. We couldn't do this without you. You may have noticed that we don't sell advertising or sponsorships in the podcast or inside Street Photography Magazine itself. And that's because we want to be completely objective about the work we publish and the services and gear that we cover. Our only constituent is you, our listeners and readers. So if you like what we're doing, you can support the show by subscribing to Street Photography Magazine. It's only $5 per month, and you can do it by visiting streetphotographymagazine.com slash subscribe. And now back to the show. So where are those places now? Are they, are they all torn down and replaced by a Rite Aid drugstore or, or whatever? First they became, uh, you know, the Gap took over Dubrow, oh. a bank, and now it's actually a vacant building, you know, a cor really? corner property, amazing property. I just wondered if those buildings, if you could get in there now, if some, if the, like the murals are still in existence or the, those, the ceiling lights and everything you yeah. captured long, just got it. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's too bad. It's too too valuable real estate, I can imagine, to just leave it in every, place. Every now and then in New York, a, a ghost sign, you know, appears where they take, you know, mm -hmm. they're renovating a building, they take something down, and there's a sign behind. So I could do keep an eye out for that. Yeah, yeah, you never know. You never know. You're, do you still keep a journal? Never. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so you just, yeah, just did it for the, for that project. It was just for that. Yeah. I have my 45 year old journal, little, uh, it's a black, you know, one of those yeah sketchbooks. Yeah. So, um, not only are you a uh, very talented photographer, I, I really like your writing and, and I'll give you an example. I just this this is just a just something that just jumped out at me, you know, when I was I was reading through the book, and it's and uh, hopefully I won't embarrass you, but it's, Dubrow's was the type of place where the genders were referred to as guys and dolls, and I was enamored by the Runyon-esque atmosphere, gossip, lipstick, powder puffs, cigars, kerchiefs, fedoras, leather, uh, leopard pattern coats, all the cafeteria denizens accoutrements for dining on gefilte fish. I don't know what this is. Kasha varnish, varniscas, rice pudding, varniscas, varnishes, and blintzes. How descriptive. I mean, I, I mean, must be from being a teacher. Was, <laughs> um, all those things were in my photos. Yeah. I'm in a leopard coat. Um, the guys, you know, this was a time when men wore hats. Women wore hats or kerchiefs. Um, and, um, I remember I have one photo 
must have been a Sunday afternoon. The place is just chock-a-block with people. And I'm like in the middle of them. And there's there's maybe 12, you know, it's like a tableau of faces, people coming, going. I'm sitting mm-hmm. at a table with faces. On the right side of the frame, there's this black line. And I, I saw it first on the negative. Oh, my gosh. A giant scratch on my negative. Uh-huh. thought it was. It was a cigar. <laughs> Everybody was smoking these long cigars in there. So, oh, so that's how. And they're dining on the foods of um, that. So uh, Dubrow's was a Jewish-style restaurant, not mm-hmm. kosher. Mm-hmm. But um, it was started by a Russian-Jewish immigrant, and it was in a well, it was in a neighborhood that was Jewish, Italian, um, Irish, but um, it had those home-style Jewish foods, blintzes, uh, kashavanishkas, buckwheat groats and pasta mix with onions, um, and uh, meats and all kinds of foods, um, including their famous um, shrimp salad sandwich because uh, this was, you know, as as the Jewish population is assimilating and shrimp, this, you know, mm. you kind of, when you'd leave your house, it was okay in a restaurant to eat things like shrimp. And there was that whole yeah. uh, group of people that, that, that was, that was, co- kosher stopped at the door, but in a restaurant it was all right to eat shrimp salad. Uh, so you had all these these Jewish style foods and shrimp salad and pot roast and all kinds of things going on in this restaurant, and a lot of coffee. Coffee was the the thing that people came in for a quarter to drink a cup of coffee and sit yeah. for three hours. Yeah, it just must have been a place to be, just a place to hang out and schmooze with your friends, huh? Which uh, led me to. Um, the title. Uh, it was a place to kibitz, a place to nosh, and talk about the future of everything. Yeah. I noticed in the photos that most of the people were pretty old. It did. Is- it did. Uh, yes. And and um, I guess I, um, I was fascinated by them. So it was. It was a place for old people. Although young people also hang out hung out there. Yeah. Um, like when you read, um, there's always like when there's a Facebook post about Dubrow's and people remember it, they'd always say, oh, yeah, I cut high school and I went there. And, you know, <laughs> oh, I don't know where all these kids were when I went in. They weren't. <laughs> they were <laughs> they probably your students. School. You were teaching and then they snuck out. Of course, it was gone by so, then. So uh, it was. It was. Uh, yeah. But yes, it 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 did it was like a big giant uh senior citizen center party. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like there was one uh phrase in the book that said uh said something about somebody who was uh, nursing a coffee in a Danish for hours and then he said, "Hold my seat, I'm going to go home and eat." That was an old, you know, like um, joke. You know, oh, like, okay. Okay. Uh, I, thought... I think that was like an old uh, Borscht Belt kind of joke. That's... Okay. <laughs> Did you realize at the time what you had or what you were putting together? Especially since it came finally coming to light after. Well, of course, as you, you know, you've been showing the work and everything, but in a book I, form. I did have a, a few. I, I did have a few early. Um, instances where i knew people there were a few key photos that people said this these are great you know the reflection of the old woman with the taxi cab and she's wearing a patterned sweater uh so i knew there was a few pictures uh i had some early supporters somebody you know a collector who bought a photo and somebody who gave me an exhibit so i knew i had a small collection of work Mm -hmm. Uh, what I didn't realize, probably until the pandemic, I knew when I retired that I was going to scan the things and put them together for something. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I didn't realize until the pandemic, and I had time to go 
I went through the negatives like a third or fourth time. And with, a, I guess, a different eye that I have from looking at so much work over the years. Mm-hmm. And I found some photos that I never would have printed, you know, back when or looked at or thought about. And now, um, you know, sometimes when I show them, that's the photo that somebody says, wow, you know, we're going to use this one for, you know, for something. So uh, it's, it was interesting to come back and look at things later and then realize how much I had. And then I, I realized I, I realized probably soon after I retired and started looking through that, that it was a book. I was going to try for a book. How did you maintain all all of these negatives for so long? I mean, you must have had a really good system for knowing what was what and where where it was. Uh, they're in a closet up there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, they're in good boxes. Um, they're numbered at least. There you go. Uh, there's dates on the back of the contact sheets. Yeah. <laughs> you ever see the video of the? film about Bill Cunningham and how he managed his negatives. It was like, it was like the Dewey Decibel system. I mean, I think he could find anything. Well, I I had a system where uh, it starts with the number of the roll and then uh, the frame and then the year. And then there's there's some uh, other designation of it. And then, but I'm not, um, yeah, I'm not that organized, you know. I have to. I, I try to do keywords. It archiving. That's a. That was something you discussed with Nancy Kay. I mean, that's just yeah. it's so overwhelming to yeah. uh, to uh, scan things and archive them, and do you need prints of them and whatever, and backing things up. It's a. It's a. It's something that governments or uh, arts organizations should fund. Uh, Otherwise, a lot of these negatives from photographers, I have the opportunity right now to scan them and, you know, but a lot of them will end up, you know, and then you'll have maybe a Vivian Mayer story or not. Yeah, look what almost happened to her stuff. I'm surprised we even know about it. Did you... um, do you feel like maybe you're missing something? Is there there's something still up there that maybe you haven't gotten to yet? We'll see. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm going back into the boxes eventually. Yeah. So how did you did you scan them yourself or did you send it out? I I I actually scanned them myself. Um so the um I used a flatbed scanner. I know there's I actually once I did scan things on a more uh, sophisticated scanner, but um I would scan them at very high resolution and then in Photoshop I would work on them and clean up the dust and Yeah. It was very labor intensive each each image. So I don't look forward to doing it with like another set of images. Yeah. But I I hope that they'll get scanned. Which flatbed scanner did you use? Just- um, it's an Epson um, 900, something like that. Really? Okay. Comes with a holder for negative. So I also had two and a quarter negatives. I had yeah. two by three inch some. I don't know. I think I borrowed a camera that was two by three inch. Um and so, and sl- and I've scanned slides on it. So I had to be able to do yeah. different sizes and different uh, formats. And it, so it, it seemed to have worked for me for now. So when you scan the stuff, did you like clean up everything or did you only clean up ones that you knew you were going to use? Oh, yeah. I didn't scan everything. Yeah. But I scanned a few hundred. That's not too bad. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot in your bad. book, and they all look really good. Yeah, well, I ended up being 80-ish. Yeah. Uh, 
And then there's some uh, archival photos. Some people loan me some great historical photos mm -hmm. and things. Um, and uh, so the 80 was pared down from about 150. And maybe I scanned, you know, 200 or something. So uh, a lot of work. Yeah. So how much is how much is up there that you haven't done? Probably thousands. Um, no, no, it's oh. all right. It's well, we'll see. Mostly, all right. I'm just curious. I I'm, can't I'm, think about it. I can't you think know, about it. I've got boxes of things that aren't nearly as organized as yours. That's why I'm asking the questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it, it's yeah. it's a challenge for for all photographers. And then you know the digital work that's been done in the past years. That's a I I can't I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know how to approach that. Yeah, I've got. I don't know. I I took a online class on how to manage my stuff in Lightroom. Of course, I don't follow it the way he taught it, but you know, it's getting there. You know, it's, it's so easy with digital to take too many photos. And I've got tens of thousands. Some people I know have hundreds of thousands. But yeah, hey, you got to be organized sometimes, and and sometimes it doesn't go along with being a creative person. Mm. So how did you make the book happen? Did they come to you? Did you come to them? No, what? I made a made a. I went to bookstores and I looked at a lot of photo books and mm -hmm. I looked at the telephone, you know, and I had all the info on uh, who printed it and um and um i decided that um an academic press would be because i did want to tell the story i saw yeah. it as as um as art but i saw it as um a, a social documentation an essay a story and so um then i looked at books from academic presses and cornell university press had done um done uh, Marissa Scheinfeld's book on the Borscht Belt and photos mm -hmm. of, and they seem to be, they have an imprint, Three Hills imprint, that's looking for New York stories oh. from Brooklyn to Buffalo. And I thought it was a good fit. And so I reached out to, I reached out to her. I reached out to Marissa first uh, and said, how was your experience with them? And she looked at my work and this, and she said, oh, this is fabulous. You know, I got to tell the editor and blah, blah. And so she really helped me over that first hurdle because I had no, I did research how to, how to write a proposal, mm -hmm. what parts go into it. Um, and my first proposal for, was a book about every and all cafeteria that ever existed in the country. <laughs> That's <And> big. <laughs> it was a little too much. But yeah. I took a photo. I took photos in the south of cafeterias, the Piccadilly and the S and S and uh no. But I went to Warsaw and took photos of the Zodiac cafeteria in Poland. Mm, okay. And what about the Horn and Hard Odds? And what about in Cal California, Clifton's cafeteria? Uh what is this book really about? Uh, my editor said, uh, and um, it, Michael McGandy, who then was the editor at Cornell, uh, said, uh, "Is this a book about Dubrows?" I thought for a moment, and I said, "Yep, let's make it a book about Dubrows. Just this one chain." And so that's what it is. It's about the uh, Dubrows that was in. Flatbush in Brooklyn, up from 1975 to 1978, I photographed there. When it shuttered, and everybody came, and sadly, the news came, and everybody was crying over this place closing. I started to go to the other one that was in the Garment District, mm -hmm. up of the Garment District. Everyone who worked there, the jobbers and everybody, Midtown people would come and eat there. Uh, and then that I photographed there and other cafeterias until 1985. 
And so um, then I reached out to um, find people to write about an introductory essay, and uh, I couldn't have been luckier and more honored to have Deborah Dash Moore, um, a historian from the University of Michigan, who's just written, who's writing a book about uh, 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 street photographers in New York. Oh, is she? Oh, yeah. That that will be published next fall. Um, and uh, then the playwright Donald Margulies, who had written and talked about growing up in Brooklyn and going to Dubrow's and how sad it was when it closed, and uh, and he agreed to write this wonderful essay, yeah, essay, and uh, and then I wrote one, and we edited and edited and revised and revised. <laughs> what an experience! You know, it's funny, you were just talking about uh, uh, photographing some of the um, cafeterias in the South. And I, I remember visiting one probably in 1972 or something, hitchhiking to Florida. We went to this, I never heard of such a place, this giant cafeteria where you could get all any kind of food. I can't remember where it was now. But it was like some big name place. Maybe it was in Florida or Georgia or something. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm rambling. There's still a few that, that, that persist in the South. Yeah. Kind of interesting. They were different than the New York ones, the you know, California ones, Oklahoma cafeteria. Anyways. Yeah. That's a whole nother, uh, a whole nother another thing. Another thing. But, <laughs> but I, I had forgotten that this even existed. I'm from a real small town. We never had such a thing. Yeah, it was more for workers and more yeah. of a city thing. Yeah. I yeah. Guess. Have you ever? Did you follow up or talk to any of the people you photographed? Maybe they're still around today. Were you able to talk to them or or anybody from that maybe frequented these places? Occasionally, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Occasionally, I've gotten an email or from somebody who says, mm -hmm. "That's my grandmother in that picture. I've been searching forever. You know, that's my uh, grandfather, the ticket man. Oh my gosh, I'm in tears. He's right there in a photograph. And I assume when the book comes out, I'll get a lot of people coming out of the woodwork. That's my old Aunt Rose. That's <laughs> really cool. Charlie. You know, that reminds me of something that Meryl Meisler said. She goes, you're a historian, so start capturing the history around you right now. Yeah. And she's yeah. right. I, I think that would be advice for, you know, um, you know, younger photographers who yeah. are, um, which they are doing, um, but... You know, everything that's, you know, this New York City's on, you know, it's on the verge of always on the verge of of changing. You Big know, time. we lament the change uh, and people, you know, that's that's the thing about New York. Yeah. You know, it's always, oh, lament what's gone and whatever and complain about it. But there's always something new coming up. That's true. That's true. So. I'd like to ask you a little bit about, about the CETA program, too. I found that fascinating. I wonder if you could tell us a little about that and about the work you did during that period. Because I know so, part of it was your your work in Hell's Kitchen, which I is really, really good. Oh, well, thank you so much I, for saying yeah. that. Because I, I, I need a little validation on that, because that would be, probably be the next set of photos i you know tackle oh really good okay thanks <laughs> like what do i know but i'm just oh. giving you my personal opinion <laughs> that's what that's all i can go on um it's hard to you know it's hard to judge yourself yeah it is so it is you either you either wind up falling in love with things or you hate everything and you probably could be wrong about on each end well you gotta at some point just trust your own also but uh probably one of the best things that happened to me wasn't 
a great thing was um, I was supposed to go off and become uh, an art teacher in a junior high school in the Bronx mm-hmm. in 1974, uh, 19, uh, when I graduated. And I had my license and, you know, an assignment to go. And New York was cutting arts programs left and right. Mm-hmm. And never, never, you know, it never uh, materialized. Uh, so I was unemployed, chronically unemployed, you know, wandering the streets photographing. And then there was this uh, call for artists who applied to the CETA Artist Project. And so I was, uh, I was a perfect candidate. I had done some community service photography, community service work, um, worked with nonprofits. And um, it was um, a program that supported artists. And it was twofold. You worked for organizations where you did photographs that they needed. So when I got assigned to Hell's Kitchen, they needed photographs of rent violations. They needed photographs of people renovating their houses, of um to show that there was community, there was a vibrant community, stores and community centers and people planting gardens. So um, to make a long story short, because you were going on a bit, um, I photographed um, in Hell's Kitchen. Um, I went back on my own even after the project ended i had some connections at that point and i went back other hours than i was working i photographed in brighton beach under the project uh photographed a few other stories under the project um so it ran about for me two years and um it was an amazing experience and uh and uh, got to do some of my own work as part of it as well. Yeah, you sure did. Um, I, uh, you know, it's funny. I was I remember listening to the. Uh, I like the B and H podcast a lot. I don't know if you ever. I don't know if you're mm-hmm. a podcast fan, but they. I think they were talking to a guy that. That was part of that program. Man, I can't remember. Anyway, I don't. I don't want to go off on a tangent here, like I always do. But uh, yeah, I, I I love your photos from that. What what film were you using? Was, did, you have, well, did you have a favorite film back then? Uh, yeah, it was a Triax, a, Tri-X D, yeah. you know, Triax and D seventy six. Yeah, <laughs> you know, in the book I talk about what it was like to develop film. Yeah. And, you know, your bedroom and your kitchen. Yeah, <laughs> the bathroom, that's a fascinating bathroom. story. Don't, don't turn on the light. Don't take a shower. <laughs> And then pack up your negatives and, go, you know, go and spend hours in a dark room. It was wonderful. I would never go back to that again. But uh, I think it was uh, working in that process, you know, just built your your respect for making images and just trained your eye. And I don't know. It was great. Yeah, but I, on your website, and I encourage everybody to visit Marsha's website to see her work from that era. And uh, but I, yeah, I just love the photos, especially the one of the the kids sitting on the stoop. stoop. They're like twelve years old. They're all they're smoking and <laughs> just acting tough. <laughs> just act. They were kids, you know. It was Hell's Kitchen. You know, yeah. you had to you had to keep up the the image. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, my, you know it's funny because I, I was telling my neighbor about about your work there, and she goes, "I lived in Hell's Kitchen, and that's when I was that's when I lived there." <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, the, these photos are great. Did you do much to them um, after you scan them? Did you you know tweak your tweak the contrast or anything like well, that? Or I, you just... know, I would burn and dodge them. Yeah, but. Just like I did in the dark room, except yeah. if I make a mistake and have a halo, I wouldn't have boxes full of, you know, yeah. bad prints. Uh, having boxes full of imperfect prints served me well at Dubrow's because uh-huh. I was the lady with the big envelope of portraits and I gave them away. 
Yeah, rather than throw them out, why not? I mean, and so I would give them away and then people would buy me a piece of cheesecake in, in exchange. <laughs> and everybody else would, would say, I want a photo. And then, of course, the workers who were from all over the world, you know, would say, you know, can you make a portrait of me? I'm going to send it back to my family. So if one of my portraits shows up in China or in, uh, you know, who knows where, you know, the staff came from all over the world. Um, that's the reason. You never know. You never know. The The second person I interviewed on the, um, for our magazine, which is 10 years ago now, he, um, he had uh, he was in Athens, Ohio. That's what attracted me to his work because that's where I went to college. And this was like in the seventies, and he photographed this guy, and he photographed his wedding. Took a photo of you know the bride and groom. He went back there thirty years later, found the guy. He lived in a trailer somewhere. Walked in the house, and there's one of his photos stuck on the wall with a thumbtack. And he was thrilled yeah. you know, to see something that he made, and it, be, it was a treasure for them. Yeah. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, we'll see what comes up after, you know, the book. Uh, we'll see what kind of reaction. Um, I know there's a lot of people, you know, you know, in old Brooklynites who, you know, oh, I remember that. That would be cool, you know. Uh, and so I hope it, you know, of course, it will appeal on a nostalgia level. Sure. But I hope it also, um, you know, it's a a tale of a time in New York and um, a, something, an essay about community and about older people, which I never thought I would be back then. And now I am. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we all need community and, and socialization. We learned that in the pandemic, you know, for our yeah. mental health. So Dubrow's was a mental health center. <laughs> yeah, I have a friend who lives here. He grew up in Brooklyn, went to a high school, tech, Brooklyn Tech High School, something like that. And uh, he's the same age I am. And so I'm, I'm going to show him this because I'm sure he remembers it. Yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> we can try to get it out there as much as possible. Oh, yeah, definitely. And so when, now when does the book come out? Um, it should drop on May 15th. So far, I think it's on schedule. And um, I have um, I have a, an exhibit coming up at, oh. in Nyack, New York, at the Edward Hopper House. Really? Uh, oh. That will open in in April, and uh, hopefully a few other things down the line. And uh, I'll be uh, hopefully I'll be talking about the book more and oh. showing showing actual books and uh, sure signing them, and it'll be fun. That'll be cool. So where's it going to be available? Like Amazon um, and all the regular it's places. Already, it's already up all over the world. Really? Um, yeah, it's kind of fun. Also, on the, the the when you see it in listed in other countries, and you know, there's one like in Taiwan, and the whole page is you know in in Taiwanese characters, except in the middle, there's a picture of my book, and it says "Kibitz and Nash," oh, that's, a good Yiddish title in the middle of all that. So, so it is. Yes, <laughs> you can so, buy it at independent bookstores or from Walmart has it even. Really? Oh, wow, wow. So you'll be able to actually walk into a store, pick it up, hopefully, pay for yeah. it, and walk out hopefully. with it. You don't have to hopefully. order it online or anything. That, that's great. I was in, uh, we have a Barnes and Noble, a real bookstore in our town. And I went in to look at photo books. Of course, they're all shrink wrapped in this plastic. So you can't like thumb through them, which is too bad, but. You know, of course, you want to preserve them for the people who actually buy them. So, usually they put like one out to, you know, that yeah. you could leaf through and then the others in. But we'll see. But yeah, it's up and it's up for a pre order. If, um, 
anybody wants to make sure they have one, they can go to the it's on the Cornell University uh, Press website. Okay, okay. Well, uh, yeah, we definitely have to get links from you of uh, any you know where, where it's available. Amazon's easy, of course. And where can people learn more about you personally? Um. Well, I hope they'll look at my website. Um, and what's that? And uh, com. Uh, and I'm uh, really bad about Instagram, but every now and then I, I put a little gem out there, uh, Marsha Bricker photo. Okay. And Marsha, you spell it M-A-R-C-I-A. C-I-A, yep. yeah. And I pronounce okay. it Marsha, not yep. Marcia. Uh, so, um, and um, there's lots of other stuff, you know, you Google me now. I'm kind of out there. My That's right. Out there. You You're easy to me. find. You're easy to find. Well, that's great, Marsha. Well, thanks. You know, I appreciate you taking the time and sharing your stories with us. And uh, thank you for making it so easy to <laughs> chat about it. Oh, well, I try. <laughs> yeah. And um, just giving, you know, Photographer is an opportunity to tell a little bit what's what goes on behind the scenes. Exactly, exactly. I, a week doesn't go by that I don't hear from a, several people asking, "How do I get my book published?" And to be honest, I don't know, but there are a lot of people who do. Like people like you have actually done it. Harvey Stein teaches courses on it and um lots of other people so that's good it's, it's it's good to hear the story especially when you've had something in the can for so long and you've you've really made something cool out of it now if you persevere um it can happen your thoughts about the show go a long way in helping us decide on the guests and the subjects that we include in each episode so please take a few moments to write a review in Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to stream your podcasts. It helps us know if we're on the right track and it helps others to find and enjoy the show. The editor of Street Photography Magazine is Ashley Refo, and our audio engineer is Russell Boyd from WeBit Studios found at webitstudios.co.uk. I'm Bob Patterson, and this is the Street Photography Magazine podcast, a service of Street Photography Magazine. Mm -hmm.